If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author, Susan Friedman. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week, I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Today, my special guest expert is executive coach, Dr. Katrina Burris. Katrina has a proven track record in coaching global leaders in multinational companies such as Nestle, Nevadas, the United Nations, and many more. Her coaching expertise has taken her around the world. She's recognized for her distinctive capabilities with leaders and teams from a wide variety of cultural backgrounds. She teaches postgraduate courses at various universities and facilitates workshops on global leaders and executive coaching. She is the first International Coach Federation Master Certified Coach in Switzerland. She's on the editorial board of the International Journal of Coaching in Organizations. Katrina has written books in both French and English on various aspects of leadership and hosts her own popular television show, MKB Leadership. So I am so excited to welcome to the show a friend and colleague all the way from Switzerland. Katrina, thank you so much for being this week's guest expert and mentor. Suzanne, I'm delighted. I'm honored to be on your show. Thank you so much. So let's start off with some basics about coaching. I mean, you're a coaching expert and let's just understand really coaching is one of those terms that are banded around a lot, but what does it really mean? Well, coaching is really accompanying somebody and helping the person to reach their goals. So I like to say my slogan is to get the person from where they are to where they want to be. In a Socratic questioning, you really have to learn the art of asking questions, suspending judgment, and really helping the other person think things out and get over their blocks, their assumptions, their limiting assumptions. It's really, of course, now they say developing your potential. I don't know. It's using and leveraging competence, your intelligence, and trying to really have them overcome their limiting beliefs. So why do you believe that it's become so popular? Because it really has over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 plus years. Coaching has really become one of the in things. So why is that? The thing is, it's a profession that is not protected. You don't need to pass certification per se. So anyone, somebody out of the job can say they're a coach. Somebody that is a hairdresser, does a weekend course can say they're a coach. Teachers like to say they're a coach. So in, in a sense, it's such a popular word, or was, that now it's being sort of commoditized. It's uh, Everyone uses it, and, and it's lost its luster. I was a coach 20 years ago, and coaching was less known, but it had a, a sort of aura to it. Today, somebody out of the job, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being out of a job, but let's say 
There's no protection of that profession. So therefore, anyone can say they're a coach. Coaching and consulting, two different things. What's the difference between the two? Because I think there's a confusion with that. Consulting is really analyzing the situation and giving advice. Let's say that's a simplification, but let's say they give advice and they tell the person what they think they should do. Coaching is really the art of questioning and Socratic questioning. And it's really pulling out of the person how to problem solve and help them problem solve their own issues, but helping them at the same time, as I said, removing their limiting beliefs and leveraging their competence. So that's the major difference between the two. I have quite a few blogs on the difference between consulting, psychology, and coaching, and different helping professions, by the way. And you can give us the link to your website towards the end of the show, which will be really helpful for our listeners. That'll be lovely. Who would hire a coach and why would they do that? That's a very good question. I work for companies now, mostly. I would say 95% it's companies that hire me and maybe five I, I accept an individual because they interest me intellectually or they're a friend. But the companies hire coaches because uh, for one, a workshop is just in case you have a problem. And coaching is just in time. So what's the difference? If a person, a leader has an issue to resolve in the moment, it's very good to be able to talk to a coach and problem solve in the moment. And it can be the day for the next day. And that's really, and it's also very confidential. It's customized exactly to the person's issue. Now, I'll give you another example is that companies that send their leaders on leadership workshops and then give them X amount of hours of coaching. And in that case, it's really helping these leaders what they learned just in case or any knowledge that they acquired and how does it apply to their particular situation. So the coach really helps them integrate it and make it personalized to their particular situation. I'm sure that's very helpful because often leaders or managers don't have somebody to turn to or would feel embarrassed maybe to ask somebody within the organization about a challenge that they may or a concern that they may have. Well, I always try to encourage companies to have peer coaching because that's one type of coaching. But an exterior coach, really, they can talk about their strategy, the confidential information, and it has no political consequences. Well, if they talk to a peer, they never know. And of course, a lot of leaders are very lonesome. And the most deepest, the most profound doubts they may have, they won't really share with a peer. Unlikely, I would think. I can see that because I know that I've been in organizations and to my detriment, I've actually shared something and it's backfired on me. So it would have been really nice to have somebody on the outside that I could have called up and said, hey, you know, I've got this issue, help me resolve it. Yes. And then also, you know, if someone wants to be a coach, I highly recommend that they take coach training because there is an art of questioning. And I teach coaching to uh, students 
And I would say most of the mistakes they do is that their goals, they don't clarify the goals of their coachee. And so they have a conversation, but it doesn't really go anywhere. So it's really to get very clear on what the goal of the coachee is or the leader, the manager, so that then it can be tackled. Or it's also clarifying their goal. That's the first step that I've found teaching students is that they have big problems with that. And of course, they can go on and on in a conversation that leads no constructive, applicable feedback. And of course, they take a lot more time to get into the issue. So those are the kind of, I think, that you learn by coaching and also being trained to do so. So how about you? What are some of the mistakes that you've made along the way? Yes. And before I say that, I'll just say how convinced I am that you need a coach training because I had two masters, one on global international business and another on human development. And I still did another master's in coaching. So I really believe that it's a particular process that you need to learn. Now, some of the mistakes I did at the beginning of my career, and I'm happy to share them if it can help anyone. First of all, there was one director general of a hotel that I was coaching, and I liked this person very, very much. And so I saw and I could apprehend that she was going to be fired in this family-owned business because the family wanted to put one of their people. So I could see it. And I was so apprehensive for her and liked her so much that I didn't have the sufficient distance to really be helpful. And when I realized that, because I was trying to make her come to the point that she would realize that she was in danger, I tried and without telling her, but I didn't tell her because I was taking the coaching approach. One, I realized my mistake was that I was feeling too much sympathy instead of empathy. So what I did is step up, went to the ladies' room, took a glass of water, and that was just enough to step back and get out of her aura so that I could be more helpful. And the other thing is that in the next session, the coaching session, she did realize that she was going to be fired. So in fact, had I told her this was my feeling, she wasn't ready to hear it. She really was not ready to hear it. So she had 24 hours to simulate it. So that's one of my mistakes. The next one I would say, also in my early years, was I was coaching this leader, a very important leader, and he was abrasive as well. And his boss said that if he doesn't change his ways, his behavior, he was going to be fired. And I learned that you shouldn't tell these things, but why? Because in that situation, in the best of intention, I wanted to protect him. I said, oh, you know, I think your boss has the intention of firing you. And guess what? The boss in question was head of a restructuring and had to acquire a new company. So there was no way he could fire the coachee that I was coaching, okay? So in fact, he hired him and promoted him. Well, can you imagine my situation? I had told him that I think he was going to be fired, and the situation turned out that his boss could not afford to fire him because he had so much business and instead promoted him. So my credibility was zilch. 
Another key thing that you have to learn is that don't get in midst of management. You're a facilitator. You're a catalyst. Don't be part of the system. Let the manager and the leader do his job of telling his staff member or his manager that he will be fired if he doesn't change. It's not for the coach to step in and take uh, the leader's job or his dirty work. So I think that's a key learning that I learned early on, and I was very grateful for that. It was a tough learning, but I was grateful for that. Yeah, we all learn from our mistakes. I think one of the mistakes that I often make is when I'm coaching someone is that I get out of asking the questions and give my opinion before asking the questions or ask a question and then give my opinion. And I don't believe that that's the right way for a coach. Would you agree with that? Yes, I agree. Unless they ask you for it and then you ask their permission. But even I think before coming to that point, it's really doing your homework and letting them get into their own opinion, their own analysis. When they take a decision, what are the consequences? Can they live with those consequences? Then that's fine. What is their, what will the, the positive points of the decision? So really make them be a very good thinker and troubleshooter. And sometimes by giving your own opinion, you're stopping that process. And that's the risk. Yes. And I realized that after I've done it, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I've taken away a certain amount of power that I believe that person could have had if I hadn't have shared what I thought, which may or may not have been relevant. You work with a lot of global leaders, and I know that in terms of global leadership, thought leadership is something that's really important out there. Talk to us about thought leadership and how our authors can become thought leaders within their uh, niche market. I'll tell you how I came into my niche markets. And as an author in a niche market, it's good to know where the market is. For example, coaching, everyone says they're coaching. So I went into a niche market. Where will the newbies not want to go? The difficult cases. So I specialize in coaching brilliant and abrasive leaders. The most difficult cases. Because no one will really go there unless they have a certain amount of experience. And as you said, Suzanne, it's also global nomadic leaders, because I am a, a daughter of an industrialist, and my parents moved around to many countries. And so I, in our home, we speak several languages, and we've moved around. And then I came to thought leadership, because, in fact, if you have an expertise, and any author that has a certain expertise, how do you become known into that area? And that's how I define thought leadership, is really being known in that area where uh, you have your expertise and where you drive the conversation, you just don't participate in it, you drive it. So thought leadership is definitely, for any author, a means to think about it and be very clear as who are they writing for? Of course, I'm telling you things that you know. What is your niche market? What are the pain points of your public? What are they struggling with and what can you help them address? What takeaways can they get from reading your book? And what are the benefits? Would they be 
of working with you because I think it's a huge credibility and it's a show of expertise by being an author on a certain topic. So in the book, I think when you write it, you need to show some of the benefits that you could provide the type of clients that you would provide most benefit uh, when you write a book too, that it becomes clear. Also, of course, have a call to action. How do you go about finding those pain points with your clients? I have a TV show and two radio shows, so I can ask just about any question to these people because I'm giving them a huge amount of publicity on the social media platform by distributing different ways. Let's say I'm also a blogger for prestigious magazine, leadership magazine. I can ask them many questions. I also convene with them the question, I want to leverage their expertise, of course, in the show. I can ask their pain points. And I have a conversation with them before the TV show, for example, and I try to develop rapport, better understand their issues and understand their pain points so that I can also think of ways where I could be most helpful to them. Because I think if you want to be a good coach, you really have to love people. You have to love to listen to them and you have to love to be able to help them get from where they are to where they want to be. That's got to be very important. So if our coaches don't or our authors don't have a TV show, what would your recommendation be in order to find pain points? Well, to blog. I mean, they're authors, so they like to write. And if they write, first of all, show their expertise, provide evidence, concrete cases as much as possible. Because a business person will want to know that you know business issues. And that's by giving also evidence and show your experience in that area. And also provide useful information that can be applied for somebody. So tips, strategies that they can apply. How can they take what they read in your book and apply it to their particular situation? Identify their pain points and give steps how to resolve those pain points. And if you fear that you're salesy, just think, if you really identify a pain point and you think you can help them, that's not sales. I think you, ha- you owe it to the person to communicate how you might be able to help them. And I think with this mindset, it really will communicate that. And of course, you need to uh, be pleasurable in your writing style and persuasive. So let's say that show your expertise provide evidence in your experience that what you're saying is correct. That gives you credibility and you'll be recognized for your expertise. Then make it useful so that people can see how they can apply it to their situation and then be persuasive. You know, if you really believe that you can help people, be persuasive and make it pleasurable to read. I would say those are the ingredients. We talked about some mistakes that you've seen coaches make and you've made. How about let's turn those tables and look at mistakes that thought leaders might make? What are some of those that you've seen out there? Well, that they write the book and then they don't promote it. In a blog, for example, you write the blog and, of course, I have the same fault. I love the content. I love working with ideas, but then 50% is really promoting it through the social media platforms. 
finding someone to market it if you don't have that skill set. Use your social media following or creative following. Even when you go to a network or a cocktail party, be able to say in one word phrase what you do and what's your expertise so that, let's say a woman, like I coach leaders. So, of course, it can be quite business oriented. But if I see a woman that's a stay-at-home woman but is a wife of a very famous uh, leader, I will tell her something that is very simple to understand, to the point, and can be said in one sentence. So that if she whispers in her husband's ear at night, she can repeat it easily. On my website, I'm going to come out with little videos to really express and give you tips on how to become a thought leader. Authors are just incredibly well-positioned to create content. If you write a book and you have a red thread throughout it. Each chapter can be a blog. So let's, let's make it even very specific. If you write five blogs, that's a chapter. If you write 50 blogs, you have a book because you have 10 chapters, let's say. So, you know, if you're strategic in the way you write, it can become a book. And the advantage of maximizing your content into blogs, into podcasts, into books, into a speaking engagement, into TV shows, and, and all these different, or the social media venues, is that you're repurposing your content constantly. And that will slowly but surely position you to be a thought leader in your area of expertise. You use video and you have your television show. How has that helped you with regard to thought leadership and being seen as an expert in your area? I've had people call me after the TV show and said, uh, I want to develop that presence, presentation skills. I want to uh, be known for X, Y, and Z. How can you help me? It's also, that's, so I get clients because they see they see a snippet of you, and they like you or they don't like you, and they imagine working with you. So that's avant-goût, as they say in French, of being able to work with you. And then through the videos, you can also show your expertise. So it gives you credibility. I've had people say, look, uh, there's a lot of coaches here, but there's so few people that have a TV show. And the other element I want to say about having a TV show or even a podcast is I love to learn. I really love to learn. So it gives me the opportunity to learn between what's a leader, a CEO, and a member of the board or a chairman of the board. What are the different skill sets? For, that's an easy example. Or any questions that I may have, I keep learning. Also, I interview a lot of other coaches, so I learn their expertise and what's trending and what are my competitors. I feel the market a lot more. That's also very helpful to position yourself and your expertise within amongst other experts. And I've definitely found that with the podcast is the learning and seeing just the expanse of what other people know and what other people do and just learning from that. So you're absolutely right. If our listeners would like to get a hold of you, what's the best way, Katrina? 
they should go to excellentexecutivecoaching.com. So that's my website, excellentexecutivecoaching.com. And there, there's videos on coaching. And there's going to be a new series starting next week on thought leadership, which really takes each element of thought leadership and breaks it down with concrete tips to think about. I love the website domain name. It really just says what you do. And for me, that's so important when I talk to clients is like, you have to have a name that says what you do. And excellent executive coaching says it all. So congratulations on that. And your blog posts, will they find those on that website as well? Yes, they'll find the blog posts, they'll find the TV shows, they'll find the podcast, and they'll find information about coaching, of course. And then I did a series of blogs on the difference between coaching and psychology, as I mentioned, or coaching and other helping professions. Excellent. And if you were to leave our listeners with a golden nugget of information, what would that be? Follow your passion. But do marketing because we all sooner or later we all want recognition for our, our hard work earned uh, expertise that's fabulous wise words so thank you and thank you all for taking precious time out of your day to listen to this interview and i sincerely hope that it sparked some ideas you can use to sell more books here's wishing you much book marketing success The time is now to take action and finally build your book-selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded, so visit bookmarketingmentors.com. And we'll see you again next week 